Hey, it's Luke Burbank. This is Live Wire Radio. We're backstage at Revolution Hall here in Portland, Oregon, and we have a great show coming up for you. We've got animator Bill Plimpton here. We've got Ken Jennings, also music from Typhoon's Kyle Morton. And we've got this guy, Mr. Andy Richter, who you may know from Conan or many other film and TV projects. Andy, our, our theme this hour is Drawn Together. And you and your wife, Sarah Thayer, have been married for over 20 years now? Which yes, is, what, 21, is a, I believe. A hundred, it's 150 years in Hollywood time? I think, yeah, 156 in Hollywood years. How do you keep uh, a marriage going in La La Land? Um, financial arrangement is the main thing. It helps if you uh, still love each other after all that time, uh, but there's also just the work of it, yeah. You're also very famously paired with Conan O'Brien. Does your real relationship life inform your professional life? It certainly helps. You're totally perfect for this show. We're calling it Drawn Together, and uh -huh. you're hoping, so this is gonna work out great. Excellent, let's head out on the stage. From PRI, Public Radio International, it's... Recorded in front of a live audience at Revolution Hall in Portland, Oregon, it's Livewire with writer and Conan sidekick Andy Richter, Jeopardy champ Ken Jennings, animator Bill Clinton, with music from Typhoon's Kyle Morton and our fabulous house band. And now, the host of Livewire, he's drawn to smooth jazz and a nice white wine and the films of Diane Keaton, Mr. Luke Burbank! Thank you, Jason Rouse. Thank you, everybody, for coming out here to Revolution Hall in Portland. Very excited about this show. Our theme is Drawn Together, and we've got Portland animator Bill Plimpton here. Got an amazing new film coming out. We've also got Andy Richter from Conan on the show. I must admit that I was particularly excited when I heard that Andy was going to come be on the show because when I was in college, I was an obsessed fan of the first Conan O'Brien show that Andy was on, the one that was on 1230 on NBC. And I used to watch that show every night in my dorm room, and I used to think, someday I am going to be a TV star, and I'm going to have a show just like those guys. And that dream never came true, as evidenced by the fact that I'm hosting a public radio show right now. <laughs> but the closest I got was when I was working as a producer at an AM conservative talk radio station in Seattle. <laughs> and a guy called me and asked me if I wanted to host a conservative public access television show. And I knew that I was about to make the big time. And I said to this guy... I will host your conservative public access television show on one condition, if you let me name the show. And he said, yes. And that is how the show, That's Right! Exclamation point, <laughs> was on public access television in Seattle for one episode. <laughs> it was a total disaster from the very beginning. I show up and there's nobody to operate the camera. So my buddy was with me. My buddy Camaro Kev had to operate the camera. And I think the nickname Camaro Kev tells you about his sort of facility with broadcast video equipment. The guy who was the executive producer of the show slash makeup artist puts like this thick layer of pancake makeup from about my, I'd say mid chest up to the top of my head. It immediately dries out and starts cracking, and I look like one of the puppets from that Phil Collins Land of Confusion video. <laughs> and the other thing that was poor planning on our part was we decided to do this show live. So we weren't recording it and playing it later. It was going out to the world. And the show, our lead-in, the show that preceded us was called The Goddess Kring, and it was a topless woman reading poetry, and occasionally belly dancing. So the bar had been set pretty high for what we were supposed to do. And Goddess Kring is wrapping up, and it's like 10 seconds before we go live. And they're counting me down, and my heart is beating out of my chest. I've probably never been so nervous. And the light goes on on the camera, and it's time for me to talk. And what I hear in my ear is, can I get two uh, chalupas? and a beef soft taco. 
And I, I look at Camaro Kev, and I look at the camera, and I don't know what to say. So I wait a couple seconds, and then I'm about to talk, and a different voice comes in my ear and says, do you want hot sauce with that? And I am totally confused about what I'm supposed to do in this moment. And then my brain figures something out in the way that your brain can sometimes figure out really complicated things in like a split second. My brain realized that it was this earpiece I had in, which was connected to this walkie-talkie, because we wanted to have, me and the guy who was in charge of the show, slash doing the makeup, we wanted to be able to talk to each other, but this was public access television. We didn't have like fancy radios, so he went to Radio Shack and bought two walkie-talkies, and one of them was in my ear, and what I realized in that moment was we were on the same frequency as the Taco Bell that was like two doors over. I have no idea what happened during that one hour of public television, but I know I was starving at the end of it. That marked the beginning and the end of my television career. But I'm very happy to be here hosting this public radio show with all of you guys. Let's get our first guest out here. Um, Andy Richter has been a writer and sidekick for Conan O'Brien for 12 years with a small nine-year break wedged in so he could star in the hilarious Andy Richter Controls the Universe and Andy Barker, P.I. His many other projects include Arrested Development, Talladega Nights, and a very nervous mouse lemur named Mort in Madagascar. Please welcome the very funny Andy Richter to Livewire. Oh, yes. Thank you for that island feeling. They that, know me too well. That was in your rider, right? That is right. I, yeah, I, as a strict Rastafarian, <laughs> I insist on... Reggae-tinged yeah. entrance music. You've got to have those, e- those irie rhythms. That's right, man. <laughs> uh, this must feel like old hat to you, sitting up on a stage, people watching, making the funny. That's right. Yes. Yes, in Portland. <laughs> Belly full of donuts. <laughs> um, the theme of our show is drawn together, and I've, I've read a few different accounts of how you and Conan O'Brien, in a sort of unlikely fashion, ended up doing that show together in the early yes. days. How, how did that all happen? Well, he was given the job. And, step uh, one. That was step one. Uh, and then, actually, the way that we connected was that uh, Robert Smigel, who was a very hilarious... Yeah, TV Funhouse and a TV bunch of Fun other... TV Funhouse and now uh, Triumph and Jack show, or Jack and yeah. Triumph show. He's the, the voice of Triumph, the, the insult comic The voice of Triumph, dog. the insult comic and dog. On, and the con- on the subject of Robert Smigel, I was uh, a long time ago covering the Michael Jackson trial for yes. NPR. Words you never thought you'd hear. Covering the Michael Jackson trial <laughs> for, for NPR. NPR. And yeah, I was yeah, watching yeah. Smigel get Triumph ready for his one access to Michael Jackson as yes, he walked yes. by. And just watching him with this dog on a stick practice this thing. It was, yes. it was true art. And a mass-produced dog. It's just like yeah. some cheap, crappy Rottweiler puppet that we bought at the gift shop, you know? Don't overpay for your in- comic <laughs> yeah, insult why? dogs. Why? Yeah, why have it designed? Um, so Smigel gets you guys Robert. together. I, I knew Robert because a friend of mine had been on Saturday Night Live and I had just met him, you know, kind of hanging out, drinking and driving in Los Angeles. <laughs> and when Conan got the job... Uh, as often happens when a new thing like this happens, people say, hey, who do you, they, they ask their friends, who do you know that's, you know, in comedy and funny and doesn't have a job? And uh, They Robert, say everybody. Uh, yeah, pretty much everybody. And so Robert connected me with Conan. I was actually in Los Angeles at the time. Um, I think I was, I actually had, I was doing the movie Cabin Boy. Uh, I had gotten a part in the movie Cabin Boy. The Chris Elliott yes, opus. Yes, the Chris Elliott movie Cabin Boy, which was going to be my big start in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> and um, which I, lo- I mean, I was thrilled. I felt like I'd won a contest to get in that movie. It was yeah. really a lot of fun. But I met Conan at uh, Junior's Deli in Los Angeles, and uh, we just hit it off. We immediately kind of we're as stupid as we are today uh, together. And, but they um, weren't looking for someone to be the no, sidekick, No, they were just they? looking for a writer. And early on, we had this very ambitious idea that it was going to be 
I, I think a lot of comedy absurdist purists, yes. which I think that we are definitely of that ilk on our show, look down our nose on top, at topical humor. And uh, so we thought, topic, I'm making jokes about what's in the headlines. Ugh. Uh, we're gonna be we're gonna be crazy weirdos and just have arbitrary sketches yeah. about nothing. And more, of course, more, more masturbatory bear focused. Yes, exactly. With your humor. Or you know the gaseous wiener, the yes. hot dog that farted, <laughs> of that course. kind of thing. Um, but of course, the, when you get on the actual air and you're on for a week, you start thinking, "Oh my God, I hope Madonna does something, just so we'll have something to talk about, just to provide some content for us, like the." The, the topical stuff isn't... People don't do it because they like to. <laughs> they do it because they have to. Right. Because they're laying track for a train that's moving, right. you know? So you have, to, you have to feed the beast, the comedy beast. So uh, we thought that initially there would be kind of this Steve Allen kind of gang of players, you know, that would be doing sketch stuff and, and that maybe I would be in that kind of group. And it did kind of become that. There were a lot of people on the show... Uh, you, uh, you know, there were a lot of writers on the show who also were very much contributors to the show as performers too, right. as sketch performers. Um, and so the sidekick thing just kind of evolved as I was there. I was the first writer hired, and then it just kind of became. I, I think uh, out of out of reaction to the fact that nobody really had a sidekick anymore, so let's try and do that old thing again. But so. you, you said that you actually, you never wanted to be Ed McMahon or a, a kind of permanent sidekick, right? And no, so- but, well, because that, I mean, and there's, there's no disrespect to Ed McMahon, but that's a he very... He can't hear you now. That's, <laughs> He's cashing a giant oversized know? check in the sky. Uh, <laughs> um, I just never, that, that just didn't seem that interesting to me. It didn't seem like a very challenging thing to just be kind of a human prop. And uh, and I don't think it was interesting to Conan or anybody else that produced the show. So it again, just, no offense to yeah, Ed yeah, McMahon. To Ed McMahon. Yeah, and his sending your gold business that he was working towards <laughs> the end there. Hey, wait, Andy, we got to take a quick break. Okay. This is Live Wire Radio. We're here with Andy Richter, and we will be back with more in just a moment. Hey, do you live in Portland, or are you traveling our way, and you want to find some totally unboring ways to spend your weekend? Maybe you want to read an incisive review of a fire-juggling, Elvis-impersonating trapeze artist slash acupuncturist. It's all in Portland Monthly's On the Town newsletter. To get the best of Portland's arts and culture delivered to your inbox for free, go to pdxmonthly.com slash newsletters. Welcome back to Livewire Radio. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. We're talking to Andy Richter. Um, so you and uh, Conan worked together for a number of years, and then you decided you were going to strike out on your own because you had always been a comic actor. Did, did I read right that you, your sort of a big break for you was playing a member of the Brady Bunch in a live stage version? Yeah. That, well, that uh, yeah, I guess yeah, that would have been what was considered a break because it got me out of Chicago. Uh, um, we but, love you, WBEZ. No, no, but I mean, but you know, you, you can't just. It's hard to stay in Chicago and make a living. Yeah, I got to put brioche on the table if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so uh, I, uh, yeah, there was there was a, a a theater at the in Chicago called the Annoyance Theater, and we mainly did plays that were written through improvisation. And one night a week, we did the real-life Brady Bunch, which was just reenacted episodes of the Brady Bunch <laughs> on stage with adult actors. Uh, trying as to not, and not like a, you know, clever comment on it, just trying to do it exactly like they did it on the show. Um, and, it, and I remember, because I wasn't in the original cast, I was, uh, you know, involved because the entire theater was involved, because there was free pizza and beer on that night, because it was the cash cow for the whole theater. And then one of the actors went through puberty, and they had to be replaced by well, you. Well, I, I thought it was going to be... I just thought it was the dumbest thing I'd ever heard. 
And then when I saw it, I don't think I've ever laughed harder in a theater than seeing these people up there doing this really shitty television show that's burned into my DNA, you know, that like, that we all knew all the lines and everything. It must take on a weirdly, there must be a certain gravitas about it when adults are doing it, or is it the opposite? Uh, no, it is, well, it, the absurdity really comes through. Yeah. And, and, and also too, because you're, you're actually, well, I find too, live, I'm not a big fan of live theater because I feel embarrassed for the people that are up there Acting. My wife, who's in this so audience, feels exactly the same I, way. I, not just on I this show. When I see but... a big play where people are super emoting, I just want to crawl out of my skin <laughs> because there's a human being, you know, how, depending on how much I paid for the seats, 20 feet away from me, putting on a show, and it's that you're not that person. I, in a movie, I can handle it. There's this separation. But this is why you never got your shot at being theater critic for I the New York not, Times. Uh, I found this show embarrassing. Much we, like every other show I've seen. We could all tell they were actors. <laughs> I didn't buy it for a minute. That, <laughs> well, that guy wasn't Magritte. <laughs> Nice Magritte uh, reference. Thank you. Thank we you. actually have to have one Magritte reference uh-huh. per show, so and thank I, you for I, that. I, it was either me or Ken Jennings. Yep. Yeah. So you you have been the uh, the producer of and the star in a number of TV shows that I was a really really big uh, fan of. Um, they were they seem to be shows that were embraced by people who like the kind of absurdist humor that you specialize in, but maybe the wider network television audience didn't have the same appreciation for. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, honestly, I don't know. One of the reasons that I came back to work for Conan is because trying to pitch television shows to people on, at television networks is gross. It's just, it's, you just, I mean, especially when you get something that you really feel good about and, 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 and feel like you're doing quality work, you realize that the quality of it is maybe sixth or seventh on the list in terms of why it survives or not, or why it dies. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of other things in, in front of that. Many of them have to do with kind of political maneuverings of where the old alpha male at the network moves on somewhere else and the new mal- alpha male comes in and has to kill all the old alpha male's uh, offspring. Right. You know... Uh, that that's that's and like well, mate that with right the showrunners. Yeah, yeah, and then and then make a bunch of their own offspring. I, I find that interesting because I think most people would think, oh, you're leaving a, a a nightly show to go out and make your own stuff, and you're having success because you're getting to make it, and people are hiring you. But you're saying that was actually, in a way, more stifling. It, it was uh, more difficult and more heartbreaking, and uh, less convenient. Now I get to make TV every night, and I just go and do it. And it just kind of, it's like very close to the pipe that shoots out into people's homes. Whereas when I made it for prime time, it was months away from the pipe, you know. So now it's just, it's immediate. There's this immediacy, you just get to do it. There's not a lot of time for people who shouldn't be judging Mm. to get in the way and judge it. Right. Uh, There's basically... It just goes out and goes, you know. They might mess with it before the West Coast feed, yeah, but that's yeah. sort of it. Yeah, exactly. A so. lot of people uh, upset to hear there's a pipeline into their house that Andy Richter <laughs> controls. That feels a little invasive. Yeah. Well, there are a, a bunch of uh, different ways where people can now get shows out and do things, whether it's Netflix or streaming stuff. There's room now for shows. Like, you've been on Arrested Development. There's yeah. room for shows like that to, to live on in, in a new form. I mean, will we see you in other things uh, in the future outside of being part of Conan's show? Um, yeah. I mean, if I start to dislike my children more. <laughs> uh, What's your feeling on them right now? Uh, they're all right. I mean, we're on the bubble, but... Yeah. No, I mean, it's... Uh, uh, yes, absolutely. I would love to do that kind of thing. But uh, I do. I, it is hard to kind of balance sometimes. Of, I have a job, and if I really wanted to fill up my other space with another job, it would be space taken away from my family. Yeah. And that it's 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 not an easy decision. Um, you were the prom king of Yorkville, Illinois. Is that Goddamn true? Damn right.
That was actually your, uh, that was your speech, right? Yeah, Andy yeah. Andy Richter. <laughs> Goddamn right. Um, I think people would be surprised to hear that because you seem kind of like a laid back and not super showy guy. Did you, did you develop? Did the, I campaign ruthlessly? <laughs> or were you just King? that popular that you didn't even have to campaign? Well, what it essentially means is I was the sixth most popular boy because the members of the homecoming court were disqualified from the prom court. Uh, so those five guys couldn't be on the prom court. So prom court's like, you know, the B team of popularity. Right. So I was like the best of the Midland. Uh, Andy Richter, we're very, very excited that you're here on Livewire. But, but before we go, um, we have been talking a lot about your career and the amazing thing you've, you've done. But we have omitted something very important, which is that you are apparently the all-time highest money winner on Celebrity Jeopardy. I, I don't know if that... I, I mean, I don't, I'll take your word for it. Sounds good. I'll start putting it on my business cards. Yeah. Um, no, I did. The last time I was on, I made a lot of money. $68,000? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That is... Thank you. Now, it is Celebrity Jeopardy, which is remedial. Yeah. To put it nicely. Yeah. You know, they're not exactly in the business of making actors look bad. You were up against one of the Olsen twins <laughs> and Mean Joe Green. No, actually, it was Dana Delaney and Wolf Blitzer. Wow. Yeah. So that whole Wolf Blitzer situation room is just a sham? I, well, he did end up in negative figures. <laughs> so I, I leave it up to you. All right. Andy, your, your Jeopardy accomplishments are impressive, but we're wondering how you will do it a real test of metal. Uh-huh. A test of metal we've invented. Whoa, we whoa, call whoa. it We call it questions and appetizers. Now the reigning questions and appetizers champion, because he destroyed me the one other time we tried to do this, is someone who also knows a thing or two about Jeopardy. Jeopardy super champion Ken Jennings. Let's bring him out, ladies and gentlemen. Ken Jennings here. Oh, Uh, also here to tell us about our appetizers and possibly eat some of them is our very own Andrew Harris. Andrew Harris, welcome to the stage. All right, this is how this is going to work. Okay, uh, we are going to put one minute and 30 seconds on the clock. Uh, Andy, you and Ken must have a conversation consisting only of questions for as long as you can until someone either slips up or takes too long. Each time you fail, our own Andrew Harris eats one of your delicious appetizers. Andrew, what can you tell us about these Lucky morsels? An- yeah, it looks like two farts on a plate. <laughs> that is not true. That needs to be phrased in the form of a question, Richter. Oh, sorry. You've already Are lost. These you've two ar- farts on a plate? <laughs> You're already down a, a plate fart. <laughs> Don't push it. Okay, so we're going to be enjoying three delicious appetizers. We have finocchiona salami, pickled si. eggs si. with Basque smoked paprika, si. and smoked trout salad crostini yeah. with sugar snap peas mm. and dill. Very unfarty. No, un- unfarty, but boy, your lady friend's going to yeah. love you. Yep. Yeah. Oh, that, darling? It's pickled egg and yes. trout breath. <laughs> Why does this comforter look like a Zeppelin? <laughs> Well, I was in a contest today, honey. Yes. Hey, Ken, you just mopped the floor with me uh, on, on this uh, contest last time. What, do you have any um, special secrets, any tips for uh, Richter? You just need to... See, I've only beaten Luke, and he's terrible at this oh. game. I, am, I have a... There's a brain pathway misfire for me when it comes to this game. So this is going to be different. Right, okay. Because neither of us... It was explained us... to me, and I wasn't quite sure about it, but I'll... Try. But Andy, you, you, you have an improv background, so we assumed that this would come quite natural okay. to you. you. You seem less than confident. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm sure I'm downplaying my chances. Either way, we don't have to eat any of the food, if I understand the format right, correctly. Right, right. So if I get it wrong, I don't have to live in my own pickled egg filth <laughs> for the evening? I guess that is sort of a, uh, a workaround we hadn't really thought of yeah, when we yeah. thought this game up. They look delicious. So here we go. This is the plan. We're going to put a minute 30 on the clock. We've got the buzzer ready to go. The challenge, Andy Richter and Ken Jennings, answer each question with another question. If you fail to do so or you take too long, 
We're going to buzz you. Andrew Harris is going to eat your appetizer that you so clearly want. <laughs> are you guys ready? Yeah. Let's start, we are with, ready. let's start with the reigning champion, Ken Jennings. Go. Uh, don't these appetizers look good? Why would you say that? Wouldn't you eat them? How would you, I begin to eat them? Are you, are you, say, are, are you saying I wouldn't eat them? Oh! What? I'm in the middle of a I question. I did for a like, little. Hold on, we gotta go to the instant replay. Do we have a hood I can get under? And, <laughs> I feel like that was, you were going towards a question. It's very harsh, you guys are. There was a pause. Sorry, you, you know what? Jason rules with an iron whim. Discernible yeah. pause. Andrew Harris, tuck in. I'm Going jealous. Right for the pickled what egg. Are you, what are you eating, buddy? I'm eating the pickled egg. Okay. Very good. Mmm. <laughs> All right. Are we just? Do we just? Are we going to continue to put a minute thirty each time? This could go on endlessly. Oh, I see. We're going to run it down to where it was last time. All right. And once again, <laughs> starting this time with Andy Richter. Go. Okay. Um, how are you doing today? Why would you ask? Well, why do you think I would ask? Is that a Portland question? What is your problem with Portland? Are you trying to get me in trouble with the audience? How do you know that I would do such a thing? What kind of a question is that? Dang! <laughs> oh. It's really hard because you, hard. you know... <laughs> I want to be helpful. Oh, Richter, I'm sorry. He's, I'm sorry. We're supposed to be uh, focusing yeah, this on is you a, eating trout. This, this, right. this, this is a product placement for us, so don't mm. step on it if you can, Richter. What do you have in there, uh, Andrew? There's a brioche thing. Oh, that, that actually, kind of I got to tell you. Thing. Yeah, it's the trouty one, yeah. Okay. You're going to get so much action tonight. <laughs> nice hot tub. When, huh? he goes down to the, when he goes down to the river, lies with his mouth open uh, near the river. Do you have any yogurt drink? <laughs> okay. Is this the final round? Final round of questions and appetizers. It's one to one. Yeah, Ken starts, right? This is going to be Ken Jennings starting. Okay. Uh, on my mark, go, Ken. Why do I have to start? When do you think I'm going to start? <laughs> is it fair that I'm starting twice and you're starting once? When do you... Th <laughs> <laughs> Ken wins again. <laughs> It's hard. It, it's really difficult. Andrew? And also because you want to advance the game, but so you don't want to just go, what do you want to know? <laughs> Who do you think you are? It gives you a certain amount of respect for people that are really evasive in interviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're committing to that just... Right, yeah, yeah. And, The whole you know, Rumsfeld kind yeah. of thing, yeah. The, 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 the Martin Short character with the long cigarette ash. Yes. You know, yeah. Rumsfeld's not going to yes and your crap, no, you know? no. no. <laughs> He did not get very far in the yeah, classes yeah. at Second City. Right. Um, meanwhile, Andrew Harris has type 2 diabetes <laughs> as he is slowly working his way through the snack plate. How's it treating you, Andrew? Fanocchiana salami, mm -hmm. which I had to learn phonetically because I couldn't pronounce right, right. it. You could just say salami. Salami. Yeah. Would you be offended if I had one, one of these fart bombs? Not at all. <laughs> I, that's really good, actually, I have to tell you. Um, I guess that means uh, Ken Jennings continues to be Once the reigning again. champion of questions and appetizers. <laughs> he carries on his winning streak. Undefeated. Wow. And thank you very so much, proud. Andrew Harris. Finally, you have something to be proud of. I'm feeling good. Feeling good tonight. Yeah, yeah. 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 I love Put that. That should be second billing on your website, right. Ken. Should, right. I want to play Wolf Blitzer at this game on your show, <laughs> Luke. You, that dead-eyed man would probably just yeah, yeah, fire right. a million questions at you. Right. He, he'd be like the world's best at With this. With an earpiece in, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Wow. Enough. We could Wolf Blitzer bash all night. We have to wrap up our questions and appetizers. Uh, thank you very much for participating, you guys. Thank you, Andrew Harris, thank for helping you, us out. Questions and appetizers with Andrew Harris. All right, uh, Ken Jen, since you're out here and since you're, you're, I assume, on some kind of a just endorphin high. This has been an amazing roller coaster for me this evening. <laughs> when you were racking up all those wins on Jeopardy, did you ever think you, this is where it would end? <laughs> That's, you know, your very first game, you're like, I hope I win enough of these that someday I can watch somebody have to eat deviled eggs on a public radio show <laughs> based on my performance. How have you been? 
I'm great. I'm great. What does a uh, a person? I, I think it's interesting that we have interesting that we have you and Andy out here together because Andy, you are very well identified with working with Conan O'Brien, and Ken, you're very identified with being the guy who did all that stuff on Jeopardy. But Al- you were Alex Trebek is my is my Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Right. So. But you were not an old guy when you accomplished this, and you're still not an old guy. There's a lot of your life that isn't tied up in that three months, four months, whatever it was on Jeopardy. How, do you mind that? Does that? It's tricky, right? I, was, I wasn't yet 30 when I went on Jeopardy, and you sort of realize, this is it. This is by far the most interesting thing I'm ever going to do, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, at best, with good health, 50 years of anti-climax. <laughs> <laughs> After appearing on a syndicated quiz show, this is as good as it gets. <laughs> so you sort of learned that you had to learn to live with that, you know, right. that this is what's going to be on your tombstone. And what and I really also started... don't don't MC Hammer through your money. That's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, you don't want a second act. If right, you, right. If you have that kind of very minimal fame, you do not want to no. have some kind of behind the music kind right, of right. meltdown. He's back. Yeah. To answer more questions. <laughs> Anytime you're doing the theme song to Adam's Family 2, Family Values, so you can put more marble flo- floors in your Oakland mansion, you've, you've really lost sight of the important Those stuff. Those fans don't pay for themselves, Luke. Are you, um, what are you, so what are you doing? You, you've, you write a column, right, and, uh, for Parade Magazine, is that I'm correct? I'm a writer full-time. I, I, the quiz I used to write for Parade is now being written for Mental Floss. I, okay, uh, very popular website. Trivia website and magazine. Parade got bought out by some other, even smaller parade competitor, <laughs> and they immediately let go all, editor- all of editorial and all their writers. <laughs> it's called Backyard Barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> it's a smaller it's, celebration. Were you guys going to go to the parade? Oh, I'm pretty comfortable here. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah, cooler I'm trying to think what a simpler version of Parade Magazine is. It's like your mom's Facebook or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's called A Good Long Walk. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> so you're, you, you write your trivia column, and then also you've written a series of, of books, too, for young adults that are actually, I think, really interesting. I've read them, and I've got to tell you, as an adult, it feels great. Because I feel like I, <laughs> I'm really nailing. You feel so smart. I do feel like, uh, uh, like I didn't waste all of my youth, but... You have kids, right, Ken? Yeah, my uh, kids are 12 and 8. My son's here tonight. And that's sort of the sweet spot for these junior genius books, you know? Because I I spend all my... You probably identify with this, Andy. You spend all day just trying to distract and entice children anyway, you Mm -hmm. know? Like not not from a windowless van. Right, right, right. Maybe you want to clarify that, Ken. (laughs) At least in in my case. Um, It's not going well for you post-Jeopardy, apparently. (laughs) Well, he does have a nice van. Yeah. I've seen it. I've yeah. upgraded the van. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, your own children. You're always trying to like, get them to do things they don't want to do. You're trying to make things entertaining for them that are inherently not entertaining. And I thought, you know what? Why not write a book of you know, factoids about outer space or the presidents or dinosaurs with my amazing skills of uh, tricking my children into liking things? Would so you rather yeah, make them think learning is fun. Would you rather your kids be street smart or book smart? Oh, I feel like that's a sort of a false dichotomy. You got this idea in America, this egg-headed, absent-minded professor who, uh, you know, just doesn't know where his car keys are. You know, he's terrible at life, but he's, uh, you know. But then he invents flubber. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what Ken's trying to say is he's raising some ass-kicking nerds. <laughs> All right, I'll right, take Richter's right, word for it. He's over there. I think that's true, though. I really do think, like, you know, people who know more actually are better equipped for life. It's easier for them to meet new people, make friends, you know. It's, uh, like, being smart's a huge gift, and it's not, like... Obviously, there's, like, emotional intelligence, too. But, uh... But I was on Jeopardy. I don't know what that even is. Uh, (laughs) What is? Have you seen those interview segments, you know? Yeah. This is a public radio crowd, so they're not going to clap for things like learning... And a, a life of sort of intellectual rigor. That's like that's just like dangling red meat over a tiger cage when you I start. I just feel like we should learn more stuff, and our yeah, kids yeah. should too. Does anybody agree? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. I think yeah. Terry Gross is really hot. Anybody? Yeah. We should read more books without pictures. Yeah. <laughs> and I really did lose a puppy, which is why I need you in this van. <laughs> Ken Jennings and Andy Richter, ladies and gentlemen, right here on Livewire. Thank you. Thank you, Luke. Thank you. Thank you. 
Our musical guest this week has led the Portland Music Collective Typhoon since the mid-2000s, layering up to a dozen instruments in complex orchestral arrangements. But tonight we get the pleasure of hearing just him, giving us a sneak peek into a new song. Please welcome Kyle Morton to Livewire. so much. Livewire, thank you for having me. That's Kyle Morton, ladies and gentlemen. You may know him from Typhoon. That was Kyle Morton. You're listening to Livewire Radio, brought to you in part by Whole Foods Market, maintaining relationships with local growers to offer customers organic produce free of pesticides. Whole Foods Market, keeping you from growing a third ear, because ears are weird, and two is probably more than enough. More information at WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Livewire Radio from PRI. We will be right back. Welcome back to Livewire Radio from PRI. My name is Luke Burbank. I'm your host. Our theme this hour is Drawn Together. So it's only fitting that Bill Plimpton, the king of indie animation, has hand-drawn 10 feature films and over 60 short films, two of which were nominated for Oscars. His latest feature, Cheatin', is about a woman who proves how much she loves her husband by asking a magician to help her take the form of his mistress. What could possibly go wrong? A lot, it turns out. Please welcome Bill Plimpton to Livewire.
Ta-da! I see you wore your best public radio shorts, Bill. <laughs> you have a lot going grew, on here. I grew up on uh, Clackamas River, so I'm, I'm ready to go swimming. You want to go swimming with me? Yeah. Right. You look like... Let me describe the outfit for the radio listeners. You look like you're ready to go swimming, hiking, or to the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> Seersucker jacket. I love over seersucker. The, I love over the seersucker. polar tech, <laughs> over the shorts, over the wool socks. Bill Plimpton, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Actually, I wanted to ask you about your childhood, uh, childhood growing up here in the Portland area. Were you yeah. just drawing pictures from sunup to sundown? Absolutely. Uh, I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere in the woods, and I had very few playmates, and so I just stayed inside and, and drew, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse and Donald Duck and Daffy Duck all day long. And did you seem at that time to be better than your siblings or other kids you saw doodling? I didn't care. You know, I, this entertained me. This was fun. And then I saw the Walt Disney uh, films on TV, and I said, that's what I want to do. I want to make those cartoons because they, they made me laugh, and I, I just wanted to make everybody laugh, and that's... That's what I'm doing. Uh, but I, I, did you ever hear about my, my Walt Disney story? What's your Walt Disney story? Um, well, I'll be real quick because it's kind of involved. But anyway. This is public radio, by the way. After okay. this show, there's going to be a one-hour show about the emotional life of a fern. <laughs> okay. So take as much time as you want. No, no, I'll, I'll, I'll make it pass. So anyway, I got nominated for an Oscar in 87 with a film called Your Face. Yes. And uh, Disney sent a lawyer to my studio with a big briefcase, suit and tie, sits down, looks me in the eye and said, Walt Disney Studios wants to offer you a million dollars to come work for us. I go, oh, my God. Finally, they realize how talented I am. and They want me to work at Disney. But, you know, they say negotiating with Disney is not so much good cop, bad cop, but bad cop antichrist. <laughs> And I, there's some truth to it. For example, I said, oh, that's great. Can I work on my own weird little films on the weekend? He said, yeah, you can do that, but we will own those. Uh, what if I have a, tell someone a funny story? Well, we own that. What if I have a dream? Well, we own that. And you know what? That's the way Disney works, and I don't begrudge them because everybody wants to work for Disney. They don't care. They want to sell their soul to, to him. So, uh, but I didn't. I wanted to continue, you know, making the films I wanted to make. Not even Thank for you. a, a million dollars, huh? Sometimes I wonder if that was the right decision. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're I mean, wearing shorts on yeah, a public shorts, radio show. Yeah, I don't know if it's going great. Seersucker, yeah. yeah. Uh, but you know what? I get up every morning. I go to my drawing board. I start drawing, and I can draw whatever the hell I want. No one's going to say, oh, you can't do that. That's going to offend somebody or that's the wrong color. And to me, that's worth more than a million bucks. Yeah. We're talking to Bill Plimpton, famed animator. Your uh, latest feature is called Cheatin'. It, I just watched this film, and it is totally mesmerizing. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm wondering, you know, a, a lot of your work doesn't have any kind of traditional dialogue in it. Uh, how, why, do you, why do you make that choice? What are you, what are you looking to achieve with that decision? Well, there's, there's three reasons. One is uh, I'm not very good at writing dialogue. Number two is it's easier to sell overseas because there's no dubbing or translation or um, you know, subtitling. And the most important part is it's actually more poetic to tell a story with visual images and uh, music and sound effects. And it, it goes deeper into the soul, I think. And, and that's why I, I, don't need, I feel I don't need dialogue. And I, I, I like making films that just sort of more cinematic. Yeah. Who does the sound effects of people having reactions to things, which is a big <laughs> part of your films? Yeah, there's a lot of grunting and moaning and you know, sex noises and things like that. Um, yeah, it's not a film for kids. I, ho I hope people know that. Uh, <laughs> I think cheating apostrophe <laughs> is a fairly clear indicator of okay. that, I hope. <laughs> um, and I don't hire them. My, my sound guy, Weston Fonger, uh, has a, a, a crew of, of a voice artist, professional voice artists that he brings in for a day or two and does all the, all the sound effects. I want to talk about the, uh, I don't want to say adult nature, because that makes it sound like it's scandalous, but just the fact that this is an animated feature that, has adult topics covered in it. It's yeah. about relationships and jealousy and cheating and things like this. Um, did you have a hard time getting a distributor in the U.S. because it's not frozen? Yeah, I'm... G <laughs> 
I can reveal now they've hired me to do Frozen 2. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> that is going to be amazing. So you took the million dollars after I took, all. <laughs> uh, no, um, I'm really glad you asked that question because that's a really big issue for me. Um, for example, I showed this film to a friend of mine who's actually a distributor, and he looks at me and says, well, Bill, you know, you got nudity in this film. It's like I, I broke the Ten Commandments or something. Why, why is it uh, Tarantino or Scorsese can have nudity, but animation can't? For some reason, there's this, this, this stereotype that animation is only a kid's medium, which really pisses me off because I still love animation, and I want to see adult ideas, you know, things that I think about uh, in my animated cartoons. Animations, thank you. It's the greatest art form in the world, and we're restricted to kitty fairy tales. And I, I just really... Um, I hope this film cheat and changes the attitude uh, the, of the distributors and the theater owners uh, about animation. Is it true that this is based, or the inspiration for this came from an actual relationship you were in? Yeah, it did. It was a relationship I had about 20 years ago, and um, I thought this was my soulmate. This was a woman I'd spend the rest of my life with. We moved in together, and after a month, we wanted to strangle each other. And uh, yet, we still wanted to have sex. And I thought... God, that's such a weird dichotomy. Those two passions are in the same relationship. So uh, I thought, wow, that'd be a funny idea for a film because there's a lot of conflict, a lot of you know sensuality, a lot of violence, a lot of surrealism, a lot of uh, uh, strange nudity. And so I thought it's perfect for, for, for Bill Plimpton. Um, you... Famously, are I guess billed as the only person to ever hand draw an entire animated feature. For those of us who who don't uh, really understand how incredibly tedious and involved that is, can you put that in context? Well, I, I, I have to straighten you out because now everyone's making their own feature film and drawing their own feature film. I hope they're inspired by my uh, my work, but I've done it seven times, so I I would say uh, I was the first one to do it. And I've probably done it more than anybody else. But there's a number of wonderful artists out there making animated uh, feature films. And I think it's very healthy. It's more democratic. I mean, uh, it's great to have Disney and DreamWorks and Blue Sky doing films. But, uh, you know, I like a variety, a wide variety of options, of stories, of, of, of techniques. And Leica does great films. You know, sure. they do stop motion, puppet animation. So uh, I think it's very healthy to have everybody make their own film. Right, but I guess I want to, uh, and certainly technology has really changed yep. how films are made even when they're hand animated, but I want to go back to the time when you're hand animating a film in the 80s maybe, yeah. and you have a large non-digital camera that you're right. filming each <laughs> frame with. Are there moments where you just think, I cannot get this thing done? I mean, it seems like it would take thousands of hours and years of your life to quite, do something like that. Quite the opposite. Um, it's, it's such a joy to spend all day. I get up at 6 in the morning. I go to my drawing board. I start drawing. I feel so great. And I, I usually end by 10 o'clock at night. I'll do maybe 100 drawings a day. And I feel so refreshed. My hand feels like therapy. It just, and I sleep so well. How, how much time in a film does 100 drawings account for? Uh, maybe... Uh, 15 seconds, 10 seconds, something like that. Yeah, it's very slow. <laughs> but, you know, a Pixar film will, will um, you know, it'll take half a second for a week to do animation like that. So it's very different. I mean, I, I do all the animation myself. No one else does it. Well, Pixar has thousands of artists that contributed half now, a second the, a week. The, the, uh, we're talking to Bill Plimpton, by the way. His uh, newest film is Cheatin'. The business model of how these films are distributed, though, has to be changing because of the internet and things like that, right? Like this movie, mm -hmm. you have a big enough name that it has a theatrical release, but is there also a lot of digital app, yeah, know, boy, avenues did, for people to get you, it? You did your homework. Thank you so much for this. Um, uh, Vimeo On Demand is releasing this film, I think, this week. So you can get cheating. If you can't see it in the movie theater, you can get it on demand. And 90% uh, of the income from Vimeo comes to the artist. So I think it's a really great uh, platform yeah, for animation. Plus, plus uh, 
All of my work, I have like 14 hours of animation, uh, was just been released to iTunes. So if you were stoned in the 90s and you saw something on MTV, you don't quite remember what it was, go to iTunes, you'll see that film and bring back the, the, all the stoned uh, days. It's important, Bill, to know your audience. and It sounds like you have a really clear grasp on them. Bill Plimpton, ladies and gentlemen, right here on Livewire. Well, well, well. Jason Rouse. Big hour. That was an invigorating hour of radio. I'm, I'm not sure what I learned about Drawn Together. Did you pick up any, any hints, well, any tips? You know, Andy Richter mentioned that when he joined Late Night, they had these huge dreams of re, you know, sort of uh, doing you know, experimental comedy and you know, turning it on its head. And, and that very quickly they, went, you know, they realized why the format was the format. And... Um, Sort of taught me I, I just need to say goodbye to my dreams. Uh, <laughs> and that's okay, because they put a, a lot of work, and I wasn't going to do it in any way. But what about you? I, um, I think I learned from Bill Plimpton's outfit that this is radio, and you can pretty much wear whatever. So, And that goes for the audience, too, so pressure's off for next week. That's our show. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. Our thanks to our guests, Sandy Richter, Ken Jennings, Bill Plimpton, and Kyle Morton from Typhoon. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Alaska Airlines. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Robin Tenenbaum is the executive producer and co-creator of Livewire. Courtney Hommeister is head writer and producer. Jim Brunberg is producer and member of our house band, along with Jonathan Newsom, Dave Jorgensen, and Ned Failing. Jason Rouse is associate producer and part of our writing team, along with Alex Falcone and Sean McGrath. Graham Nystrom is our technical director. House sound by D. Neil Blake. Lighting by Jillian Tabler. Special thanks tonight to Chef Alex Yoder of Olympia Provisions. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council, Meyer Memorial Trust, the Oregon Arts Commission, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, the Maybell Clark McDonald Fund, the Oregon Community Foundation, Work for Art, the Multnomah County Cultural Coalition, and listeners like you fine people. For more information about the show or becoming a member of Livewire, visit livewireradio.org. You can download our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud, and find us on Twitter and Facebook at Livewire Radio. I'm Luke Burbank. We'll see you next week. PRI Public Radio International.